Welcome to Exporter International, a podcast specifically focused on Slovak trade matters, featuring international experts, ambassadors, and industry leaders. Presented by Zulf Hayek Khan. The Council of Slovak Exporters extends a warm welcome to Anna Lvova, Head of International Relations and Communications at the International Investment Bank, on today's episode of Exporter International. Anna, many thanks for joining us here today. Thank you very much for your kind invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. We've spent a very pleasant lunch together and now we'll delve into the business side of things. And and from what I've heard and from what I've read, it hasn't always been a smooth transition, but we'll get to that in a bit. So the IIB, if I can call it that from now on, in its first incarnation was formed in 1970 under the auspices of the United Nations Secretariat. And it recently shifted to Budapest in 2019 and it counts nine sovereign member state founders. Firstly, I'd like to start asking ignorant question or I'd, I'd like to start by asking an ignorant question when I may, what exactly is a multilateral development institution? Well, uh, let's start from the beginning. A multilateral development bank is a bank that enjoys sovereign states as its shareholders. As the rating agencies call institutions like ours, they're supranationals. Mm-hmm. So you've got a number of development institutions all over the world. You've got national development banks. Uh, you've got regional development banks, which are united by the auspices of some organization, which was originally actually historically what IIB was, because mm-hmm. it was a Comic-Con bank, united by the countries who were part of Comic-Con. And this was a mother organization back in the days. Obviously, after the fall of Comic-Con, we currently have no mother organization to report to, uh, but... A multilateral bank, um, as you very well, uh, very rightly mentioned, is a bank which is run by nine sovereign states. We have representatives of all nine of them in our governing bodies. Mm-hmm. We've got a three-tier corporate governance system. We have a board of governors, which is the highest governing body. And these are very high-level officials at the level of deputy prime ministers, ministers, deputy ministers, and they... Uh, are in charge of taking care of all key decisions, deciding on the bank's strategy, on the shareholder structure, and on all the underlying decision-making uh, related to the bank activities. You've got a bit of a lower, uh, nonetheless very important board of directors, mm-hmm. and that is heads of departments uh, level of the respective ministries of state banks, uh, which are in charge of, of, of um, operation of the bank. And these are approvals of various uh, deals and uh, more day-to-day business okay. I would say and they've got the management board which is which is a part of the of everyday activity of the bank and and which uh, manages uh, the operations on a daily basis so perhaps I can follow it up with a, another equally ignorant question by asking you how were the nine member states chosen well historically they were all part of comic I mean some of the countries uh, don't even exist, which were the founding <laughs> members, like the GGR. Sure. For example, Poland used to be part of the bank back in the days, but in the 90s, at the fall of Comic-Con, uh, actually some member states uh, found that it's uh, necessary to leave the bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them, history, um, actually, we, we have that record in history as well, actually returned after that. And that was the case of Hungary, which left the bank, but came back after it was, um, it had started its relaunch because the country saw a lot of potential and mm-hmm. further development. So yeah, I mean, the composition of the shareholders, uh, it's 
we call it uh, a bank of nine countries and three continents. It's actually quite a quite a diverse uh, shareholder base. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I think the historic ties with each other and even the ties they have developed between themselves since 1970, since the bank was founded, they make them feel comfortable with each other under the auspices of the bank and they coexist in a very efficient and fruitful manner until today. Perfect. And it was, it hasn't been such smooth sailing. And obviously 2019 saw the shift and you've achieved incredible milestones, which we'll touch on a little bit later. And of course, we'll talk about uh, Slovakia's involvement and the investments the bank has, uh, has made into Slovak uh, industry. But before we get there, 2019 was a wake up year or a wake up induction into moving to Budapest. It hasn't been smooth sailing. But as you said off air, you said you couldn't have bought the publicity. How did you mitigate some of the skepticism that came around your shift from Moscow to Budapest? The decision itself about the shift from Moscow to Budapest came a little bit earlier, but we did move, relocate the headquarters in summer 2019. Much to our surprise, I have to say, uh, the move, as you very rightly pointed out, was accompanied by a unexpected media campaign uh, <laughs> and some skepticism directed at the bank and its activities. However, um, I think the bank did take um, a rather efficient approach to the matter. Yep. We um, decided that there is no better way to show the market and uh, the media and um, the agents and the clients that transparency is key to everything. Absolutely. Uh, we, our approach was really and truly quite simple. We came here to do business and mm -hmm. this is exactly what we're going to do. And we're going to try and make the most of delivering the information about the business we do to the wider audience. And this is exactly what we did. Coming to Hungary and further on expanding this to our other member states uh, with the main focus on the Central Eastern Europe, uh, because this is where we are located at the moment, uh, we tried to establish very targeted, direct uh, relationships with the media in the region. Uh, we tried to be the main source of information for mm -hmm. them about the activities of the bank. And I'm very happy to say that this is exactly what we've achieved. We currently enjoy very fruitful relationships with core media in the region, uh, in Hungary in particular. And we try to deliver the main messages about our activities, about our main achievements, about what the bank contributes to the economies of our member states. You know, it's, as we discussed as well over lunch, I mean, you can't write or, or tell the same news, you know, Absolutely. for more than just a, a very limited period of time. And when your actions speak louder than any words about you, then perception really changes and everybody understood that we are here to mm -hmm. do what we initially claimed we're going to do, which is to try and help the development of the economies of our shareholders and to try and do our investments and to develop our business as much as we can. And this is what we have been doing and the results speak for themselves. So, you know, we this is the point which we reached currently and we look forward to following up and building on it. Great. And, and we'll talk about your achievements and you've already smashed your milestones that you'd set in place. I know that you're probably a year ahead of where you'd foreseen in your strategic strategy, uh, or sorry, in your strategy, uh, as well as uh, some of the tools that you're able to offer, maybe even our, our members as well. But I'm still fascinated at the beginning and we're going to stay a little bit at the beginning. Why did you choose Budapest? Well, it was... This can be a simple answer. I'm just curious myself. No, it was um, an initiative of the Hungarian side. Right. Subject of or the discussions, they started to 
arise back in 2016-17 at first. Mm -hmm. Hungary returned to the bank in 2016 and by probably the year 2017, the bank has already picked momentum because the sure. relaunch, as we call it, started back in 2012. And this is when the new team was brought into the bank and the structure changed. Uh, the banks at a very dramatic speed started to renovate itself. Mm -hmm. uh, we're introducing the new corporate governance system. We've introduced changes to the statutory documents to make the match with the modern uh, and uh, with the modern development financial institutions we had help from the world bank and mm -hmm. that they helped us draft the new corporate governance system for it to be in line with uh, with uh, institutions similar to ours we built from scratch risk management system compliance system in the bank all the core systems were actually reintroduced in the bank at a level where they should be in sure. a modern institution so in 2017 what could have been i mean we we received investment great ratings from major um, invest uh, credit rating agencies internationally and we've sort of started this momentum and there came a moment when we knew we had to have a jump mm -hmm. or an extra push something had to happen for the momentum to keep going and for us not to stagnate and uh, at the initiative of the hungarian side it was actually, it was a very logical as well uh, at that point, probably initiative because uh, a lot of focus of the um, core activities of the bank started to shift towards Europe. European member states at that time had gained over 50% of the shares in the paid in capital. So they had more say in the decision making. Mm -hmm. They started to be more heard. The share of Russia was deteriorating at the time quite rapidly. So it was a very logical Sort of suggestion, a step for everybody. And there were a lot of discussions happening throughout uh, the years until December 2018. It was actually the first meeting of the Board of Governors because this was the first uh, meeting of the highest governing uh, body after the introduction of the three-tier three corporate governance system. And at the first meeting, it was actually a unanimous decision because everybody understood that shifting the bank's headquarters to Europe would actually correspond to the benefits of all the shareholder states, not only the European ones, because historically and even now, there are a lot of ties between the European member states with mm -hmm. our Asian states, with Cuba again, you know, you have a lot of interconnections with them and the bank sees itself uh, to a large extent as an integrator between the economies of the member states. So this was a very logical step, which was unanimously agreed on by the shareholders and very swiftly and smoothly six months later without uh, it was we were we were laughing at, at, at one point because we literally did not stop the activities of the bank for one second a lot of us closed their office doors in <laughs> moscow on friday evening and opened them on monday morning in, in budapest, budapest. so yeah incredible uh, so it was it was a very smooth process without any uh, you know slowing down of speed of operations and development and uh, that was actually one of the things a lot of uh, rating agencies highlighted uh, afterwards when affirming or even improving our credit rating that the relocation itself went very smoothly. And you mentioned a lot of the compliance and restructuring and coming up to speed with various instruments. And one of the things that you mentioned just there, and I'm going to pick on and it'll be the last time I asked this, is that you mentioned that when you relocated, uh, Russian investment dipped from about 60% to 43%. So you've there's been a consolidated pivot to, to shift from being regarded as a Russian bank to now a more European bank. Do you think that's a fair assessment? And 
And why is it, again, why I go back to this initial question, why is that met with often so much skepticism historically? I think it's history has a lot to do with it. I mean, when you have an institution which stayed for a number of years um, in a state of again, stagnation and not doing much until 2012 with a very large share of paid in capital belonging mm -hmm. to one country, to Russia, headquartered in Moscow back then. So people had that stereotype and perception of this being a Russian financial institution. However, a lot has changed since then. As we said, uh, the share of Russia has gone down uh, quite dramatically and uh, the European uh, focus has become more vivid. And when we approved our current strategy, which was back in 2017 during council meeting in Bucharest, it was very clear back then that the European angle would be the main one for mm -hmm. the next five years. So, um, as I said, I mean, the relocation towards Europe had a lot of ground and reasoning behind it. I mean, we wanted to be closer mm -hmm. to the target audience. We wanted to be closer to European investments, to the markets. Mm -hmm. We wanted to increase uh, brand awareness. And from what we're seeing now, everything, pretty much everything the shareholders hoped for when taking that decision has come into practice and it paid off. Uh, we've uh, been witnessing, uh, you know, a lot of developments and achievements which we hoped for, constant decrease in cost of funding. Our investment portfolio is... Uh, increasing uh, by the by the hour, and it's uh, we are enhancing our activities into different geographies, and uh, all of this. I mean, our credit ratings have even improved mm -hmm. uh, since we moved uh, and relocated to Budapest, and all of this, you know, in a nutshell, what we hoped for initially. So the plan and the prognosis have paid off. And as you said, uh, offer actions speak louder than words, and delivering on your mandate has helped you uh, succeed f much faster than you probably anticipated. Moving a little bit closer to home here, nine shareholders contribute in excess of about 400 million euros. I think that's uh, that's correct in paid up capital. So how is the division of the contribution assessed? And in terms of local contributions, Slovakia apportions 5.81%. How does the bank designate what is deemed a prudent multinational investment then? Well, there is no to start with, there is no direct correlation between the share of the paid-in capital of the country and the investments the sure. bank does in it. In fact, we're often asked that, and there is no direct relation. In fact, if you look at certain countries, starting with uh, Slovakia or Romania, you would actually notice that the coefficient uh, mm -hmm. of investment to the share in paid-in capital is currently about four or five. So we invest four or five times more in the country than they contribute to the paid-in capital. Um, so um, really and truly, the shareholder structure as such, I mean, it is agreed upon between the countries. If any country wants to increase share, it's just, you know, puts forward a suggestion and there can be a, a recalculation and whatnot. If a new shareholder is to come in, the same thing happens and it's all decided by basically the governing bodies. So the current shareholder structure, there is currently um, a additional capitalization pro process going on. Mm -hmm. Every country is committed to a certain share uh, of paid-in capital, which throughout the year, the years, the next years, they're going to contribute. And uh, b basically, these things are just agreed upon between the countries themselves, and they just follow a schedule which they for themselves have, have approved. Obviously, this has to go through national budgets mm -hmm. and get uh, approval of the governments. So um, it's, it's a lengthy and a very comprehensive process as such. But uh, 
yeah, this is this is really and truly a consensus between between the shareholder states. And one thing that's always fascinated me, and and again, I, I, the inner workings of financial institutions are always fascinating to me. And I understand that not only do you help the investments within the, the sovereign states or the member states that you count as shareholders, but you often act as an inter interlocutor and a third party negotiator on their behalf, so that they can open up their markets to broader audiences as well. One of the things that always interested me is. What does the bank deem a prudent investment and not? What kind of projects will get greenlit? With development banks, I think one of the, apart from the obvious financial side of things, I mean, the project has to be bankable. I mean, sure. you can't work at a loss. Return on investment. For every development institution, it says in the mandate usually that profit making is not a core, a key thing to do. However, nobody wants to operate at a loss. So the project itself, first and foremost, has to be bankable. The good thing with the development institutions as well is that many of us try and find these additional instruments where we help our clients or potential clients to actually make those projects bankable mm -hmm. by either providing technical assistance or hiring some consultants. And, and these are the things where we can help because we know what we are willing to finance. And if we see there is potential in some project to help the client make it more bankable, this is additional uh, services usually provided by the development institutions. Another thing which a development bank will always look at is the value added with regards to non-financials. If a project has additional additional value with regards to environmental protection mm -hmm. or some social aspects to it, creation of jobs uh, or um, green energy, renewables, things like that. These are the things which are very much looked at and uh, we look forward to financing. With regards to often as well asked um, a question like, how do we compete with commercial banks? Because sure. the market. I mean, it's an obvious question. Of course. Um, every development bank probably at one point or another answers that there is no competition there simply because a there are enough needs and demands for everybody in the market mm -hmm. with the development institutions i think we are able to take on a little bit more risk at the way our business models function and sometimes we help the commercial banks to implement certain projects we have an interesting case for example in hungary mm -hmm. where we financed a greenfield a building of a production poultry production plant uh, in one of the regions, quite underdeveloped regions of Hungary on the border with Serbia. Mm -hmm. And uh, the company whom, um, whom we, we provided support to is actually the second largest exporter of the poultry um, wow. in, in, in Hungary. And they're quite a they're private business, but they're quite well known and in the industry. And uh, we had a very interesting scheme, which was like a perfect combination and a perfect example of how all parties involved work together. They received a grant mm -hmm. from the Hungarian Investment uh, Promotion Agency, which is a government institution, and this is they help uh, the exporters to enhance and boost their activities uh, in the foreign markets. So we had uh, a commercial bank providing a loan mm -hmm. to the company, and they had us providing a 100% guarantee on that loan. So this was a perfect combination of how all parties mitigated the risks, worked together, and we had an opening, official opening of the plant a year later. And this is what development institutions are here for. With regards to also probably value added of, of the banks like ours is that 
With our business model, we are often able to provide longer tenors for the loans mm -hmm. because with the way commercial banks operates, there are sometimes limits to how long the loans can be. And this is where we also come in. And now having like an A rating, uh, we are able to attract financing. For example, this year for the first time, not only did we reach uh, negative interest rates on our borrowings, but we also managed to raise funds for 20 years in the market. And that was wow. a first for IIB. So... Being able as a multilateral bank with a with a high level rating to raise funds in the markets uh, of that long a tenor and at such preferable conditions, we try and, you know, uh, reflect them on our clients to offer them better conditions, be it tenor wise. We try to, you know, be competitive with regards to interest rates. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Well, that's a comprehensive answer, and, and thank you for that. And interesting, we'll come back a little bit to this uh, green projects being green lit. It's COP26 this week, as we all know. Uh, I know that you're heavily involved with your some partner institutions as well, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I think renewable energies, where a lot of investments are, are going to happen, not just from with you, but with, with, with other institutions as well. I saw in your mission statement that it read to promote greater interconnections and integrations between the economies of the bank member states with the aim of of achieving the conditions for balanced and inclusive growth, competitive national economies by drawing on existing historical bonds. Now, that's the kind of marketing blurbs that we, we, we tend to use to read on, on lots of documents. But can you distill that for me? What does that actually really mean? Well, apart from the fact that we try to, you know, help each and every economy of a member state independently uh, by doing investments and offering the companies in those markets our services, we also pay great attention to what we call integration projects. And these are the projects which correspond or touch upon interests of two or more shareholder countries. And currently, I think about 38% of our portfolio wow. is in projects like that. So for example, you as a representative of the Council of Slovak Exporters, if there are Slovak companies who want to do business in our member states, that is our, you know, this is where we come in and we try and, you know, help these things happen. We've got... How do they approach you? I mean, I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's probably a question that we get here asked a lot. We have export banks here and, and a lot of our CEOs and a lot of our, uh, even people who've got very successful businesses are a little bit hesitant because they don't know the, how the procedures. Yeah, well, I think our procedure is quite transparent really and truly we try and do a lot of work by promoting the work of the bank and the brand and the markets however you know our client man we have a client manager literally for every shareholder country people who speak the language they know the markets they go out there they promote our services we visit various types of events including the inter you know country ones sure. where we can try and, and and look out for some opportunities and we've had cases in our portfolio you know of equipment of one member states being exported during the construction of sort of plant or anything in another member state mm -hmm. leasing of equipment of one member state in another so it's you great know great cross cooperation yeah it is it is a great cross cooperation what we started to do recently i think in the last 3 years as well and that that is actually something which which we're quite proud of. We actually started to take very active part in promoting uh, businesses of large international corporates in the member states. Mm -hmm. For example, we've participated in providing financial aid uh, to large giants like Gestamp and Schaffler and Ocean, for example, or Medicover. Wow. wow. But these are designated tranches of our financing where we make sure that these funds are used for them to develop their business 
businesses and our member states. For example, our Medicover loan, which we issued recently, was designated specifically for expansion of their activities in Slovakia, Hungary and Romania. So that was the point. And these, you know, instruments, they help us to as we say, you know, kill a few birds with one, one stone, stone because you've provided a loan, but you know, and you have an obligation of the client. He says that he would like to expand his activities in your member states and you make sure that this is where you proceed to go. So this is um, an integrated role. We are very much... So there's some hand-holding there. Should our, our exporters reach out and say, look, and we put them in touch with you and that you have a designated person for Slovakia who they can approach and if, the, and if there's a, a solid basis for cooperation, they'll enable them and talk them through the process. Absolutely. This is, this is what we look forward to and uh, these are the opportunities we seek. And uh, yeah, there is... Okay, there is public information. I mean, sure. on the website, everywhere. But through... Uh, organizations like yours and through cooperating with organizations like yours, we really look forward to expanding our client base and to try and deliver the messages and the, to present the more wider audience and public with the information about the products and services which we offer. And you you mentioned that every project that's financed has a set of metrics that are approved by the governance and so forth. And that, that's obviously quite an exhaustive process or maybe not actually. However, in terms of investments, is there a minimum cap and a, a maximum cap or is it just is meritocracy well it's quite flexible i would say at the mm -hmm. moment a few years ago when we had just started to rebuild the work of the bank the average ticket was i would say smaller it was five to ten million probably mm -hmm. euros the balance sheet of the bank is in euros Right now, we are somewhere between 15 and 30. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at the portfolio, we do have some large exposures to certain clients which reach up to 100, 110 million even. We also work a lot uh, with other financial institutions. We participate in syndications. Uh, you know, we've, for example, just at the top of my head, last month, we closed the largest syndication for a Mongolian bank, for example, wow. alongside... A lot of very esteemed names. It was, you know, along us, there was German Development Bank there participating mm -hmm. in some other institutions. And, um, you know, so, for example, moving to, you know, the country we're in now, one of our largest exposures in the portfolio is for a Slovak company, and that's 90 million euros. So In the know, energy sector. In the energy sector, indeed. And uh, so it is us being quite a compact institution. Um, I think we can say that we're quite flexible and we try and deal with our clients and our investments on a case-by-case -case basis. Of course, there are certain things as any um, development institution that we don't do or don't finance, but these are uh, standard for every development sure. bank really and truly. But in in all other respects, it's it's really and truly quite a flexible process. So you mentioned something that, that sticks with me now is that you closed up office on a Friday in <laughs> Moscow and opened up in Budapest on Monday and your rise has been meteoric in that period. You've achieved so many milestones. Is there anything that specifically stands out to you that the bank has achieved, even in its first year, so much that you can really really pinpoint as being an exceptional milestone um well let's start with one we achieved i think about two or three weeks ago the loan portfolio of the bank last year we reached the one billion euro mark congratulations thank you and uh, actually the strategic target for the strategy until the end of 2022 was 1.2 billion which we had targeted ourselves with for the end of 2022 but we reached that figure exactly three weeks ago so 
almost a year ahead of ahead of plan and that was something uh, to to be extremely proud of another one of the top of my head is that in 2020 which was a terrible year for the financial sector all in all with covid and the financial crisis hitting us in spring when nobody actually expected it, we ended up being the only multilateral development bank who got a credit rating upgrade. So that was from Fitch and they were the last agency to lift us to the A A level rating. So these, this year again, first time in in our history, in spring, we issued our first bond at a negative interest rate. We've already did it throughout the year, I think two or three times more with with subsequent issues. Mm -hmm. uh, issues. So yeah, things are moving very fast, but these are the things we more or less, I think, predicted and projected. And we would like to keep the pace as much as possible to build up uh, on the momentum. And I think the fact that our investor base grows with every, you know, bond issuance, our client base grows, shows that the level of trust in the bank is is increasing. Uh, a lot of investors find it a safe place to invest their, their money in. And this gives us great pleasure and additional impetus to just keep going with our further development. Well, I think I know whose Christmas party we should be going to <laughs> as celebrations yeah, in Budapest. Well, let's hope the COVID situation <laughs> permits us to have a Christmas party. We haven't had that for a while. I want to come back a little bit to Slovakia. Uh, and we talked a little bit uh, just now about the largest institutional investment that you've made. And that is here. Again, related to Slovakia, the, you, the International Investment Bank Technical Assistance Fund successfully finalized its its first project in Vietnam. Can you expand on that a little bit in more detail? The Technical Assistance Fund was set up at the initiative of the Ministry of Finance of Slovakia. Mm -hmm. That was back in 2016. That is actually an instrument which is quite common for development institutions. And this is what I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. This is a technical assistance provided to companies uh, to structure and make the projects more bankable for financial institutions like ours to take them on for financing at, at later stages. And the Ministry of Finance of Slovakia felt the need to support the Slovak uh, consultant firms, uh, which provide these sorts of services, sure. uh, consultancy services. And um, after, you know, negotiations and considerations, a fund was set up. Basically, this is a fund uh, which helps Slovak companies um, structure their deals. Condition is that it has to be on the territory of the so-called ODA eligible markets. ODA is Official Development Assistance with the classification of OECD. With our shareholder markets, it's three of them actually fall under, the, under that category, and that's Mongolia, Vietnam, and Cuba. At this point in time, we have four projects which have already been finalized. Uh, one of them was in Mongolia, two of them in Vietnam, and one in Cuba. The All of them are quite diverse in the... Scope. Aim and scope, really and truly. My Vietnamese projects were mostly aimed at different innovative solutions in the agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, one of them was the development of technology to keep the moist in the seeds because, you know, the dry land in Vietnam during the hot seasons is a very big problem for the crops and things like that. Sure. And there was a Slovak company which developed this new technology. Wow, and, I did not know uh, that. Yeah, so uh, that was one of the projects. In Mongolia, for example, 
example, it was a totally different story, and that was actually an aid to the government of Mongolia to provide consultancy services on how to improve their anti-money laundering laws. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, there was a Slovak company who developed series of recommendations, uh, which were later implemented by the government of Mongolia. And we received a huge thanks for that project from the top level in the government uh, themselves, because they found that to be extremely useful. So at the moment, we are working on, uh, there is one project ongoing, and uh, we are working on a project in Vietnam as well. And that's, uh, that is a very interesting one, which is related to the modernization of the lightning system mm -hmm. in Hanoi. They want to make it more energy friendly. Cool. And uh, yeah, so uh, these are the things that the fund can help do. And uh, there is still uh, some uncontracted money in the fund. And we are more than happy and uh, welcome and urge the Slovak companies who operate their businesses and need some extra technical assistance to make use of that facility. We would be happy to assist. We actually have uh, members uh, as that form part of the council who are actually in the, the lighting system space and have very innovative tools as well that are being offered all around the world right now. I'd like you to step out of your bank uh, shoes for a while. And obviously we know that bank offers a raft of services from project financing to M&A to import and export financing, as we've already mentioned, uh, uh, trade financing and so forth. But one thing that I've noticed specifically in this region is underfunded and underperforming SMEs. Will there be an opportunity, do you think, in the future for your member states to have vehicles that will help promote SMEs? Because right now, I think there's a real issue in Central Europe, specifically in this region, and maybe the case of the member states too. Absolutely. I think that is, we like to call it our niche. Mm -hmm. Because that is something we've been observing, as you very rightly pointed out. And uh, this is the segment of the market, which we also see is quite underdeveloped and underfinanced. And we are more than happy because, okay, compared to, as our chairman calls them, grandfather institutions, you know, <laughs> the big, very, very large multilateral yeah. banks, we are not that large in size. And as I said, our average ticket is 15 to 30, which falls under the category of, of SMEs very well. And uh, I think uh, despite the fact that large tickets do appear in our portfolio, yeah. the main segment on the market still remains the medium-term companies. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is where we can really, um, you know, find our place and where we try to find our place. In fact, if you look at the at our loan books, these projects do occupy the, the largest part. And uh, the region itself, we witness a lot of demand for financing as well, despite the fact that there is quite a lot of competition uh, and there is quite a lot of financing flowing around in the markets. But this niche, uh, I would agree that, yes, it is something uh, to be closely looked at and it is something which we are more than happy to target further. It's interesting because everybody points to large institutions and large organizations and they focus on the success of large corporations. But I'm a firm believer that the spine of any country's economy is through the SMEs and, and the small medium enterprises form a really important part of also jobs and, and creating uh, opportunities for in intercooperation between the member states. And I think, as you rightly highlighted, it's definitely an area that needs much more expansion. I was, I was thinking, is there a success rate? For project financing. I mean, just at the top of my head, is that how many opportunities would you say you pass on or would you accept? Or is Good question. I mean, I think not really such a term as success rate, I would say. We have um, 
for me, I think it, it works quite well. We have a, an interesting internal, you know, scheme of how we tackle projects when from the day the project comes in. Usually in most organizations, we have, uh, you know, something which is called the credit committee. Where Absolutely. Where go to. We have a stage before that. Mm-hmm. We call it task force between us. And uh, this is a very, very initial stage when the manager just brings in the project to have a feel internally of how people inside various departments would feel about it. I'm fascinated now because that, that seems quite emotional at this stage. Or is it this is number number driven too? Um, not really. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, they try and, you know, get a feel of how it would, you know, get on inside the bag. And sometimes... Some projects, they're just being stopped at that stage and they don't go further because we understand that we find something there which would not even let us keep going and that would just be a lot of resources wasted for an analysis of something which at a certain point would just be said no to. So that stage is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting ones. Absolutely. And it's very, very important because we just get together in one room and we spit out everything we feel towards towards the deal which is on the table. And um, I think that, right, we, we usually do at the end of the year, like we have the head of task force usually does a bit of statistics, how many deals we've looked at, how many deals we passed and how many deals. You really and truly mm-hmm. uh, with all, you know, like praise singing to our client managers, they know what we look for. So they refuse. So the decline rate is very low. And if you look at our financials, we have for the number of years, we've enjoyed a really, really low NPL ratio. And that is, you know, among institutions like ours, like even compared to our peers, Mm -hmm. uh, it is one of the lowest in business. So we really and truly, I think with a prudent risk management system, which we have, and that's actually, if you look at the credit rating agencies reports, you Everybody always mentions the risk management system at the bank. Um, My bedtime reading those reports. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and uh, so it's, you know, pretty much the team's been there for a number of years and we know what we look for. So the success rate, I think, you know, the MPO ratio is your is your rate of success. I think we pretty much know what we look for with regards to our investments. Yeah, I mean, you can't just have a zero NPL. That would be a perfect world. But still, you know, to have an MPO ratio of around 2% is a good success rate for it. Well, you know, I'm still, I, I'm, so, and I'm sorry I'm, I jumped in on you there, but it, it's nice to know that there are still some emotional parameters at banks. Then that, that has to have some buy-in in that brain's trust, which you call the task force. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, some of the very intense discussions happen there because you will have a risk person on one side, a sustainability person on the other side. You will have me as well with regards to, you know, reputation risks and things like that of certain companies. And then you have so the all analysts. Those, all those metrics. And you, you, you have like some intense discussions there, but I, I find that this is a really, really great instrument because by the time we bring it to the committees, people have already, you know, had a bit of a teamwork there and we know what we have on our hands and how to tackle it later on. And, and it gives the lending and investment people uh, also very good guidance with mm. regards to how to work with the client further to try and bring it to the table as ready as possible for the committees to have a positive result on that. And that vetting process, I think now we can call it a vetting <laughs> process. And I'm sure there are occasions where there isn't consensus and you would have liked to have seen some projects greenlit and some others that slip through the, you said the NPL ratio is so low that 
most most of the projects get approved anyway. So it's a fascinating process. And I, the only reason why I asked that question is because there's often a, a very harsh representation from financial institutions that everything is driven by bottom lines, P&Ls, rate of return, ROI, all those boring acronyms that are on those credit report ratings that I promise you I won't read. Um, <laughs> but it's good to know that banks still have heart. They do. They do. And I think it's actually in our cases that value added that I spoke about, which is like of a non-financial nature as well. You know, when you see a project which will generate a lot of, you know, working places in an underdeveloped area or where you see that people are trying to modernize their production lines for them to be more ecology friendly or environment friendly. I mean, these are the things which we also try and consider when, when looking at deals like that, because we understand that this is something which will bring, you know, that extra value to the lives of the people mm -hmm. in the country where, where the project will be implemented. And that's always another bonus for us. And absolutely. And of course, that won't hurt the PR and, and the, the reputation of the bank as well. That's very Definitely good, not. <laughs> especially your area of expertise. Staying with the theme uh, of climate change, which is the topic du jour. And given that it's COP26, I see that the Wetlands International Project is being a partner of yours. Can you please expand on this? And I, I think I, sh I, I sh saw something on your LinkedIn related to this. And the bank view on being an agent for change for in the most burning issues of our times, which is, you know, climate change, climate control, sustainable development. You, you want to be an active agent in these areas. I think so. I think that's one of the parts of the mandates of development banks. Uh, and these are issues of a global nature and everybody does their part. We, um, as an institution, are very passionate about, you know, environment related issues. We've had a grant policy at the bank uh, starting from 2015, where on almost an annual basis, we issue environmental grants to some non-commercial organizations for uh, nature preservation mm -hmm. uh, programs. And Wetlands was one of those grants which we gave for a very interesting peatlands restoration project in Russia. And that was done in collaboration with our German partners as well, the German Development Bank took an active part in that. And these are the issues. We, we performed something similar with the peatlands restoration in Mongolia. One of the very recent grants, and we, we're actually working on, a, on an event uh, which will take place at the end of the month now with the Hungarian non-commercial organization, which is performing a very interesting project and program on keeping the river Tissa from the plastic pollution. And that is an incredibly difficult topic and the mm -hmm. topic of that needs to be tackled because the levels of plastic waste in the river are beyond belief in certain areas. I can imagine. And so we financed an expedition, actually, and the guys from the organization had an expedition going the length of the river. And we've developed a mobile application where you see all the main parts of the pollution, uh, which actually motivates the local communities, the municipalities, the volunteers to go and do cleanups along the river. And uh, these are the things we, we feel very strongly about, apart from, as I said, uh, the environmental, social aspect of things being present even in our day-to-day -day investments. With regards to climate change and, and COP26, uh, we are also parts of 
platforms uh, mm-hmm. of development institutions where we jointly work on, on certain projects and programs. We are a part of a very esteemed platform called the International Development Finance Club. And by a coincidence, these guys held their 10-year anniversary meeting today during COP26, where they have a mm-hmm. separate stand. And uh, so, yeah, we're inadvertently present uh, there as a member of the of the club. And we try and uh, we understand that the need for support, be it financial or, or technical assistance or something on the likes of that uh, in, in areas of, of, envi- of environment protection and nature preservation, the demand will never cease to exist, most probably. And mm. it's only by joint effort of institutions like ours, communities, uh, commercial banks, we can move forward and achieve some results in that respect. So I, I think we've covered quite a lot of bases. So I'm, I'm going to ask one final question. And my question to you is this, as far as the outlook is concerned, the future is bright. You've smashed your ratings, you're ahead of schedule in terms of liquidity and so forth. You're a year ahead of the curve, I think. And the pandemic robbed so many people of opportunities that were presented to others. Where will your strategic focus lie from 2023 onwards, which if I'm not mistaken is the next phase of your development? That would definitely be, I think, one of the subjects for discussion for next month's uh, meeting of our Board of Governors. Of uh, which I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but where we see ourselves is definitely somewhere on the continuation of the curve of development, because as our chairman says, not a week has to go by when we haven't achieved another target. And Considering, as you very rightly pointed out, how much we've achieved in in, in uh, recent years, we cannot all that let all that go to waste and just you know rest on the on the results which we've achieved so far. Mm-hmm. We would like to expand our presence, particularly in the region. I mean, we are the only multilateral bank which is headquartered in the Central and Eastern Europe. Many banks have their representations there, but. Really and truly, uh, this is the only bank with headquarters there. And we would like to play an increasing role uh, in the region, helping the economies in their priority tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the strategy itself, you know, is one thing we also have. It's a very lengthy process where we work with each country in particular as well, trying to outline with the representatives of their respective delegations what the priorities are for the economic development for the next few years and try and align our actions with that. Again, a lot of things will have to be considered with regards to their, uh, you know, interstate connections mm-hmm. and, and development and trade and export-import operations between the states. This is someone to play an increased role as well. And uh, yeah, well, one of the strategic tasks as well for the near future was to try and expand our shareholder base. And we are on the road to trying to make that happen. I'm sure you've read the news that we've signed an MOU just last week uh, with the Republic of Serbia and we've received a letter of them basically asking for the accession to the bank. So we do hope that uh, this will end uh, in a positive way and we will become uh, a 10 shareholder bank instead of a nine one, uh, and that which would be symbolic, I think, because we were saying that we're in the tenth year since the relaunch. Well, there you go. So there's the good symmetry. Good symmetry and the good way to celebrate the jubilee. So fingers crossed that all the technical procedures will be uh, will soon be over and we can announce the admission of a new shareholder. And we're delighted to hear that the Council of Exporters as well as as you as we told you off air about our cooperation with with Serbia as well, and we can't champion the Slovak Serbian. Co- cooperation going forward and we very much hope that they they exceed your into your bank so unless there's anything else you'd like to add anything i've missed any messages for our exporters 
Probably the main message uh, is not to forget of the existence of International Investment Bank. We are always open for further cooperation, for expansion of our operations in Slovakia or helping out Slovak companies on the territories of the member states or in third countries as well. This is something which, which we already mentioned before. We do work in other geographies when the interest of at least one shareholder is concerned. Mm-hmm. So we can support Slovak companies even in, in various geographies aside from the ones of our member states. And we um, encourage everybody to carefully study the financial products that we offer. And if there is room uh, and opportunity for uh, collaboration and cooperation, we are more than happy. Thank you very much. And we, of course, here at the Council of Slovak Exporters are absolutely delighted to cooperate with you at the IIB and are happy that you are a neighbor and will visit us uh, more frequently. And and on behalf of all of us here, we'd like to extend another warm thank you to Anna Lovova, Head of International Relations and Communications at the International Investment Bank uh, on Export Air International today. Thank you very much. Thank you again. Export Air International is brought to you exclusively by the Council of Slovak Exporters.